Welcome to Unframed, a podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pakroy. This episode is from a talk that I recorded at this year's Investor Cape Town Art Fair as part of their talks program curated by Tumelo Mosaka. Thanks so much to the organizers of the fair for allowing me to record the session and to publish it on the Unframed platform. If you're interested, you could read the biographies of the panelists on the website unframedpodcast.com. Enjoy this talk entitled Museums in the 21st Century. Good morning um, to the first session of uh, today's uh, talks program. My name is uh, Dumelo Mosaka and I'm the curator for the talks um, the, uh, yeah, the talks for the Cape Town Art Fair. I am uh, joined today by a very uh, distinguished um, panel uh, coming from various different parts of the world. I'll introduce them briefly because I think um, you will get more information from their bios um, and also maybe get a sense of uh, their accomplishments when they, when they speak to the issues that we're going to discuss because I think what I'm trying to do is actually to have more of a, an opportunity to have a discussion. So we're gonna try to limit the, the presentations and there will be images to give you a sense of some of the ideas that are percolating and are being explored. So beginning on my left is um, Adriana. She's from Italy and um, she works as an independent curator, uh, but has done work within museums and is active in terms of doing work in the public spaces. And then we have um, Nana, who's coming from uh, Ghana. And she too is uh, an artist, uh, a curator, uh, an activist, uh, somebody who is um, trying to think outside of the box. And of course, uh, Koyo, for many people in Cape Town, um, you are familiar with her. Uh, she's the director of the Zeitz Mocha. And I'll just have to say, you have to see what they're doing there to understand how she's transforming the space. And then we have Sonia, who is coming from Togo. She's the director of the new uh, Palais de, um, de Lombe uh, Museum in Togo. And um, as well, it will be very interesting to hear what they are doing in that part of the world. So to frame the question today, I think um, what I was trying to... Um, when I invited these, uh, the speakers today was to really explore this notion of uh, museums today. You know, in the last maybe decade uh, or so, I think we've seen um, a rise of museums across the world, you know. And I think, um, you know, partly it has to do with, of course, the, the economy getting stronger, but also just thinking about what is the meaning of these museums and how are we thinking about their relevance in society today? You know, are we still thinking of museums as places where objects are collected? Is that what we need? You know, is this the function of museums? But again, I think internally, as we will hear from the speakers, that there are certain challenges in terms of thinking about how to transform museums. You know, is this word museum a relevant um, idea? Or can we think of other structures and institutions that function like museums but don't necessarily carry the name of museum? And so I, I invited these participants to come and help us think through some of these complexities and how we can think about the function of museum and the relevance of museums today. And maybe my first question was to say to my, uh, my participants here is, you know, 
what is a museum and what, what can we, how can we think of museums today? You know, and what is changing about museums? Maybe I'll start with and Andriana. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm coming from Italy, and uh, I'm starting this intervention with my origin because I think that museums in Italy are a real, um, a big mess. Um, according to uh, the heritage of my country, we are plenty of museums. We can count at the moment through the research institute in Italy more than 5,000 museums. But what does it mean? in a little country like Italy, which has such an heritage. The heaviness of this heritage makes the contemporary culture suffering. That's why, uh, as independent curator, I'm mostly working to get out from the white cube and to afford art, contemporary art, out of the walls. So even when I'm working for, in, uh, for public institution, my aim is always to make a wider public. So I don't know if uh, we don't have, uh, you can check a little selection of my curatorial project, which can be both in a public institution and outside. I'm running uh, also um, a space of regeneration in my own town, Naples, in which I'm trying to involve the community. So I think that museum today uh, don't have to be only a cemetery, as already in the beginning of the 21st century we're saying the futuristic, the futurists in, the, in their manifesto. But we are trying to go from temple to forum, as already in the 70s Duncan was writing. So this process is becoming really slow in Italy, but it's growing in the last decade, I have to say. Um, thanks also to some politics, I would like to mention this reform made by one, one of our ministry now that makes our uh, main uh, museum independent from the state. Because according to the big amount of museum, only uh, a little, little part are really devoted to contemporary art. And uh, actually only one it's really related to the state, which is the Maxi Museum in, uh, in Rome. And uh, this year it celebrates the first 10 years of foundation with a very beautiful architecture by Zadid. So we have several other museums spread around the country. Let's say we have around five. And I have the honor to work for, uh, for a little, for one of the best, which is called Madre, in which already 10 years ago, um, I tried to develop the relation with the young artists and outside the country, uh, linking them to the um, border of the Mediterranean and asking them to make, a, let's say, site-specific project. And this is the way I'm still working at the moment. I'm very happy that in the last period, also these big museums are open to the idea of making the audience wider. So the very last project I'm curating at the moment, we have a little frame here, it's um, about uh, an archaeological site. This little archaeological site, which is actually one of the top from Magna Grecia uh, temple, Greek temple in the south of Italy, it's opening to the public and it's having like uh, 300 times the, what the public as in the past. So uh, the director is a young German director uh, who is independent from the state, as I was mentioning before, asked me to have a 
a public video installation, which is actually one of my topic, on the facade of the temple. And uh, for me, this is very important because it's a way to connect the, our heritage and in particular the archaeological one, which is very difficult to connect to contemporary, in a, um, a different way. So the, um, the idea is that even Italy, with such an heritage, is trying to strengthen to go out of the, this little space. Nevertheless, I think that museums are our identity. We still need to keep a collection, but a collection that needs to change. Not only, it's not only object collection, but it's a collection of knowledge. That's why I'm also uh, very interested in production and in performing art. And in every kind of transversal language, this is actually what I'm doing here also in Cape Town, and I'm very proud to have to be part of a public uh, festival with the intervention of an artist here, Italian artist here. So this idea of uh, a collection of knowledge, I'm kind of interested in, especially when we come to you, Nana, you know, you seem to also work in the public sphere and work in various mediums. Could you then maybe take that on and, and, and elaborate on? Oh, okay. So maybe, okay, we, we can go to uh, Sonia, you know. Um. It works. Yes, so the Palais de Lomé is not exactly a museum. Mm -hmm. So it's an art and culture center with no collection and um, so with exhibitions that are temporary. Um, maybe we can have some pictures. The film, first the film, and then some pictures just to explain and... Uh, how it is, and um, and uh, yes. So the it's um, I think the the topic of museum. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, as I said, uh, the Palais de Lomé is not a museum. It's an art and culture center with a very special history because it's, it was a former governor's palace, and it will it has been transformed into an art and culture center. So. These are some images of the venue in, uh, in Togo. So for exhibitions, we mix contemporary heritage design. Speak up. Oh, it doesn't work. I'll just speak up to the mic. Maybe I can have... Uh, <laughs> just speak up to the mic. Yes. It's good that you said it because I thought you heard it. So as I, as I said, it's uh, now you now you here. As I said, it's it's uh, it's an art and culture center. It's not properly a museum with a collection to be acquired and kept with curators. So we have another approach of uh, art and heritage. And the venue was the former governor's palace, and having it been transformed into something else is is quite a new start for the place. So these are some, some pictures of uh, our exhibitions. And what I wanted to say as well is that it's a mixture of nature, biodiversity, and culture. Both of them are in the same venue. So art is very important for us, but also biodiversity. Can you talk a little bit more about the... the, 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 the the weight, um, the, um, 
the importance of heritage within your context because I'm, I'm kind of curious to think about, you know, when we always talk about heritage, it seems like we always refer back to objects. But what about the ephemeral uh, knowledge? You know, yes. how is that fitting within the framework of a museum concept or cultural heritage institution? Well, heritage is not a museum can be over in many venues. In West Africa, we have well, it's not called museum, but objects are stored in families and chieftaincies. So you have other ways of keeping objects and uh, of transmitting knowledge. So, for instance, one of our exhibitions, the Togo of Kings, was to borrow items for chieftaincies and villages in Togo. Because we, we noticed that it has never, they have never been exhibited before since they, they are part of heritage but in families and regions, it has never been shown out, outside their regions. It was the opportunity to show them. But they are not objects that are in the traditional museum sense, because these objects are still used today, and they are part of everyday life for the people of the various regions. So when they accepted to borrow, to lend us the object, they told us that it was just to, to, for them to be seen to the rest of the Togolese people and the foreigners, but that they wanted them back. So just to give you an example about, um, about uh, the, the usage of objects is that uh, one of the objects was, uh, was borrowed from them and lent it to us. And they told us, well, in December, we need to have a specific ceremony. We will need the objects for 15 days. So give it back to us for 15 days. And we, so they took their object back, and then they regained it after 15 days, and it was full of, uh, it, they have been used for specific ceremonies, which means that the objects weren't the object that we, we had formerly, uh, because you, it, it, they were full of oil, alcohol, favors, and all this. And so very, I think in a traditional museum or an Italian museum, this would have been totally impossible because curators, we say what's going on, the, the objects should be conserved as they are. So it's just to give you an example of what we are trying to do. We are trying to have another approach and uh, include the regions and the populations to our exhibitions. Great, thank you. And then maybe uh, Koyo, um, no, she's not ready yet. They're not ready. They're not ready, Koyo. So I have to come. <laughs> I, I just wanted to share what I was thinking about, but it's fine. I just okay, um. Hi, can you hear me? Hi. Um, so I'm from Ghana. I, I live in Ghana. Um, I did work in Western museums before I went back to Ghana. I worked at the British Museum, the kind of quintessential museum, I guess. Um, I think that museums, um, I've I get invited to a lot of these talks about museums in museum contexts and, and, and see that museums are going through this form of crisis at the moment. Um, a lot of museums were built on this imperialistic, um, in, especially the encyclopedic museum, were built on this imperialistic um, impulse of, you know, we're collecting other cultures for us to understand the world. But, but these museums are a lot about othering. It's, it's, it, they're not really about self-reflection, but you go in, you look at, you know, the section on Egypt, you look on the section on, on Rome, and then always a section on Africa. Well, you know, that kind of, um, oh, maybe not that image. I wanted to go to the, 
museum. Um, okay, so we can leave it here for now. Um, and obviously now, in terms of how the world is operating, it's not really valid anymore. You can't really have one culture that's looking at all the other cultures in this form of othering. So there's this kind of crisis going on where museums are asking themselves, who are we? How do we represent ourselves and other cultures um, in relation to each other? Um, and so I think it's quite an interesting moment, even though museums like the British Museum are holding on for dear life to what they've created for so long. You know, I mean, I, I can understand this crisis in a way because, you know, people, you know, all these kind of archivists and curators in a way, what happens when things change? They'll be out of jobs, you know, or they'll have to retrain. So obviously they're holding on almost for survival. Um, and yet, you know, they can't. It's, it's impossible for things to go on as they are. Um, and so being in Ghana, being situated in that context, um, especially when I came home, I asked myself, I was in England for a while, I came home, and I asked myself um, what kind of structure or what kind of um, context would be right for this place. Um, obviously we have um, you know, ways of passing down culture we have what we call our fascia, which are translated as festivals, even though that's not... I have a problem with some of the way terms are translated. Um, so I'll use these terms as a kind of holder, even though they're not necessarily the right terms. But we have what we call our fascia, which are these total works of art. You have um, design, you have um, movement, you have music, you have poetry, you have objects that have been passed down for hundreds and hundreds of years, you have um, you know, cultural history as these objects are being explained, you have all these forms of art and art making and passing down history and cultural knowledge in one space and they're very alive and they're very um, accessible. People come, you know, normally they're held in, in, in kind of local hometowns. People come from all across the country. Sometimes people come home. Hundreds and thousands of people come and participate in culture. On the other hand, we have our National Museum, which is, you know, apart from the fact that it's been closed for five years for renovations, um, it's empty. It's, it's this kind of graveyard that was um, constructed in 1957, um, just just after or just before independence, um, it is you know these dusty um, anthropological objects. You know, occasionally you see a school group going in, but it's a dead place. Um, and so I was kind of wondering, you know, how what's this gap between these very alive, very dynamic, very um, encompassing, democratic um, one, but they happen once in a year um, in different places occasions and then these dusty dead um, carcophagus, is that the right <laughs> word, of, of space um, on the other hand. You know, how do you close this gap? And so, um, and I think there's something very valid about having a place that you can go into, you know, when you want to, that schools can visit, that you can find on a daily basis to find yourself um, rather than these annual things. So I was trying to find something that merged those two. Um, when I was looking at structures, I was thinking, what um, kind of structure is accessible to everyday people? Um, that's not, you know, these big kind of pillared, um, columned um, structures that are quite intimidating um, for all but a very few people. Um, and so I looked at the kiosk, which is this ubiquitous 
um, structure in Ghana um, and other parts of West Africa. They're on every single corner. They are hairdressers and carpenters and um, mechanics and every single thing. So I created a museum and a kiosk. Um, and then with an architect called DK Osiosari. And then um, had this idea of, we are in Accra, had this idea of, um, I want to move it around the regions as a kind of experiment to see what happens um, you know, when we take the museum to communities rather than expecting communities to come to the museum. Um, and so I worked with a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant young architect. Um, she's called Latifa Idris. She's now 25. I started working with her when she was 21. And she created this mobile museum. I'll show you in a minute. It's, it's a bit further down. She created this mobile museum. Um, yeah, that's the structure. So this is a workshop that we do with the local kids. Um, um, she created this mobile museum that you can literally take apart into panels, put it on the back of a truck, and we take it through the regions. So right now it's in Accra, it's on, the, it's on the brink of going into Cape Coast in the central region. And it's a really exciting project in that um, it's very porous, it's very open. Um, you know, when we first go into a community with these structures, people look at us and they're a little bit suspicious about what we're doing and what we're coming to do. Um, and then, you know, over time we build these relationships. And also one of the questions I asked myself as well was what do we put into these museums? You know, what, um, what is of cultural value and who gets to determine what is of cultural value? In the traditional model of the museum, you have curators and gatekeepers and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very kind of up-down approach. So um, we were wondering as well, what happens when we ask communities or people what is of cultural value to them? So we traveled around the country twice um, asking people, first of all, you know, what is art, what is culture to you? What is of cultural value? How would you like to see your narratives reflected back to yourselves? Um, and so the first um, museum that we've created in Accra, I don't know, can I, can I just flip forward? Is it this one? Okay. Um, oops. <laughs> I don't know what I did. So. This is our team, um, that's the community. These are some of the artworks. So, hmm? there are no more pictures? Okay, no worries. So um, anyway, so with the structure, we asked ourselves what kind of objects. So in the structure, we have um, works by so-called contemporary artists, um, you know, who are recognized as contemporary artists in the international sphere. We also have works by, um, I don't even know what the term is for them, maybe popular artists, like the artists that you see on the side of the street, the sign painters, etc. We have um, photographs, um, so for example in the Accra um, Mobile Museum we have a photograph from the oldest photography studio in Ghana. I don't know if some of you know that photography in Ghana is as old as um, the daguerreotype. I think a few months after it was rented it came to Ghana from France. Um, the oldest existing photography is from the 1920s so we're also telling the history of um, the community through these photographs because people go in they recognize their forefathers and foremothers um, we have an oral, what we call an oral history booth, where people can go in and tell the, the histories of their own families, of their own communities, etc. And so, yeah, just to wrap up, um, it's an experiment. It's something that we're trying out to really ask this question, 
what could a museum look like that is um, um, that we don't know what it looks like yet. That is kind of it, it's really something that we're trying to um, ask and discover from listening um, to people, and it's it's a work in progress. So we don't even know what the end point will be. Um, we um, we do a lot of discussions with schools, with local community leaders, the Queen Mother of the Market, the Chief of the Fishermen, um, and and also ask them, you know, how can art and culture be of relevance to you in your everyday life? Um, so yeah, that's it. Great, thank you. And um, so I was also thinking about, you know, it's interesting that we are moving from, you know, physical structures to um, thinking outside of the museum, creating a platform for engagement and bringing different audiences. But we, it seems like we still need the physical structure. There's still a, a desire to have a building of some kind. And when I look at the landscape across the world, um, you know, this desire seems to be growing bigger and bigger. You know, the museums want to be, you know, monstrosities. It's about having a presence which either is a reaffirmation of a certain kind of value and, um, and, and the objects that are inside it. I mean, you just have to look at, you know, what's happening in the Middle East, all those new museums that are, you know, the Louvre and, uh, and so forth. And then looking at Africa, you know, we have, of course, Site Smoka, and then we have the, in, in Senegal, the, the Museum of um, Black Civilization. And, and so I wonder, maybe Koyo can elaborate on, you know, I wonder uh, what does this mean, these large, to have these large institutions uh, and, and how, they, how they engage and respond to this desire of wanting to have the structure uh, and, 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 and how they engage the local audience, because I think there is a top-down uh, relationship that happens. Well, thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I don't have any images of the museum that I direct, because you can literally walk across the street and go see it for real. So I invite you to do that, because we have amazing shows right now. Um, thank you to Melo for inviting me to this wonderful panel and I'm really very happy to be sitting next to esteemed colleague. Um, before kind of directly answering your question, I think that uh, it is important to, to remember that uh, human relationship or humanity in general has been and will always be defined by scriptures and objects that we make and that we exchange. So it has always been like that and it will not necessarily change. Forms are changing, changing. Uh, contexts of course are, are evolving, but that, that reality of, of it's, it must be a kind of a archetypal desire of the human being to make things. So, and the making of these things, call them artworks, call them objects, call them whatever you want to call them. We need containers for them. And the containers in, it, uh, in itself also have multiple forms. You can call them many names. 
but the fact that, and I like to go to the essence of stuff because we, we tend to lose ourselves a lot in all sorts of comparative reading or competitive readings of, uh, of what we do. So uh, it's sometimes very helpful to get back to certain essence. We make things, we want to keep them somewhere. Now, how do we exchange or what kind of, what kind of preservation, presentation, uh, engagement, uh, exchange we can make through those objects that we produce is uh, an interesting conversation. So I, I, I strongly, I say it also because there is this tendency of, uh, of pretending on, of saying that, oh, the museum is such a Western model and uh, it cannot be the same in, on, the con on the African continent or it has to be something else. I say it, is, it doesn't matter what model it is or it doesn't matter where it comes from. The fact is that it has become a global currency. More than three billion people in the world visit museums every year across the globe. That means something. So these kind of metrics are also important to understand the, the popularity of the system, be it in a kiosk, be it in a palais, be it outside of the white cube, be it in a wonderful old silo across the street. It's more or less we are engaging in the same commerce of learning about each other through objects. So I think that that is, that is for me the, the, key, the key aspect. And, uh, and, uh, and I really believe in the multiplicity of forms. And a conversation with Nana with her mobile museum is for me today just as relevant as a conversation with a street artist or with a, art, or a project of art in the public space. Just as relevant with a, a very straightforward uh, kind of academic uh, traditional format of presenting an exhibition in a museum. The point is we are translating and mediating ideas, arts, and culture. Thank you. And, and to this point of translation and mediation, and I think it's, you know, um, the, the, the question of what is being translated is important. Um, and how that translation is made, because I, I also noticed that there is a, a question about the language that we use to translate these objects to the public. And, and, and part of the translation also goes to the kind of engagement that is involved in, 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 in creating uh, strategies uh, for the publics to engage. So I'm wondering with all of you, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the engagement part, because I think it's a big part of what we all do, um, how that happens, in, especially when you're addressing a much broader, diverse audience. Anyone? Well, I think context defines so everything that that we do. Engagement with uh, with uh, with a public or 
what is called uh, the audience is uh, in Cape Town is different than anywhere else or in whatever. So uh, I, I really believe that uh, one of the role of uh, one of the many roles of containers that we carry or that we run and manage, let me call them just containers, uh, uh, is also to understand where that container is placed and, and what is surrounding it and what is at its genealogy. So I don't think there is a blueprint or there is a recipe for all. Uh, if we talk about Zaitsmoka, a very specific uh, initiative for the presentation, pre uh, presentation and preservation of contemporary art on the continent, uh, it appears very, very quickly that uh, the museum, I see it as a, as a culmination of a long-standing desire and long-standing claim by a lot of artists, curators, various art professionals on the continent to have a museum like that. We all wanted it since many years. Regardless of what we think about it today, it has always been the case when, where, and would we have a proper museum of contemporary art on the continent. So, um, and that doesn't mean that, and particularly in a context like South Africa, where uh, the landscape of uh, museum, museum institutions is, from my perspective, rather rich, and also with uh, a, a network of public institutions who have always collected, preserved, and presented contemporary South African art. It becomes urgent for me and my entire team to think through what does Zaitsmoka bring to that context in an, in a, in, as an addition. So, and what we decided to, to, to do is to, I mean, first of all, the mandate of the museum is pan-African and pan-diasporic. The museum is located in South Africa for many multiple good reasons. And, uh, but as I repeat all the time, it is not a South African museum. It is a pan-African museum. It is located here on, uh, in South Africa to look at the entire continent and to look at the diasporic stories of our continent. Uh, what we are, what we are, we aim at doing is first and foremost as a professional container of uh, of art. We, our duty is to present the best art possible in the best possible way. That is our first duty. And in a second uh, uh, kind of uh, priority is also producing the best knowledge possible out of the best art that we present. So in doing this, we of course 
develop, I mean, provide a platform for engagement. We provide a platform for conversation. We could provide a platform for investigation and exploration. And uh, I tend to think that we are all always so eager to change things and to rethink, you know, concepts and methods. But things change is so slow. It's, it takes a long time for very established formats of fixtures to really have a change. And I think that the museum, the success of the, the format of the museum is also uh, an expression of the desire of people to be exposed to what museums globally offer. Um, we are trying to to be a yeah, sorry. We are trying to I'm I'm close. We are trying to be a museum that that is really um, invested in bringing the plurality of contemporary African art practice to Cape Town, to South Africa, but for a pan-African conversation. Because I strongly believe that the way our countries are connected, the way our histories are connected, is very crucial, particularly now, for us to, to really connect those dots and start talking a Pan-African, starts having that real Pan-African conversation because the, but I stop it here. Okay. It was brilliant. Okay. Um, uh, the idea of container is very, uh, I think it's the way, proper way to define finally a venue. For instance, the Palais de Lomé, maybe you can show the, the first image in black and white. We have a pro problem connected to this container because it was colonial time. So this image, image is very typical from the colonial time. So what if the container to showcase contemporary African art is based on a heritage place, a place of oppression and subjugation? So how do you do to convince, to convince your local people that this venue will present themselves, will represent what they are today and what the Africa of tomorrow will be or might be? So I think one of the challenges is to, of course, I think this idea of container can be very rich as concept to say, well, we have this container, but it's for you to give the content. It's for you to fill in inside it with what we are and what Africa creativity is from various countries. So use this venue to, to, to tell another story. So it's all about story and so you can use to present contemporary art, you can also use an ancient site. So I, I, and this is, um, is a way to engage another conversation about our future, knowing your past and about our future. So it's uh, one of the challenges for the audience as well. Sure. Okay, um, I wanna ask Adriana, you, you, you seem to want to also, since you work in the public space, um, what, are, what are some of your, um, you know, the language that you use, as well as the uh, engagement with the institutions, you know, what strategies are you sort of um, exploring in your, in, your, in your practice? Okay, I was, 
I would like to underline this uh, she was mentioning before, uh, like this gap in between the graveyard, which used to be museum, and uh, live art, which is run by, let's say, what we are trying to do now. So actually this is, since of course my route, Italian route, and the museology I used to study before, that my idea and my role in this field, in this system, is just to mine this gap. So where the institution, maybe for their history or for their bureaucracy, which is really impressive in Italy, can go uh, further, it's there where I would like to be. So um, my project as an independent curator or my project when I'm working for the institution is to go uh, to, to be an answer for community. So the idea is also always for me, according to the role of a museum, is the museum directly voted to the local community, to the national community, or to the world. I will always say that museums should watch the whole world, okay? But at the same time, the local community must be the, re the little aim, step by step. So um, the practice I use is always, let's say, it's a, a little bit ephemeral, much more than focus on producing of object. So through performance, relational perform participating performance and video art. This always uh, involves the public space in terms that it's really inside the fabric, the urban fabric of town. And uh, of course, many people, re people which are not the elitist one who really jump inside the museum or the gallery space can be involved in different way. Even being part of the production of a video or uh, uh, taking part to the performance and um, even watching the producing of a wall painting as it's uh, uh, happening here in Cape Town with Flavio. Um, by the way, the, the producing of this wall painting here in Cape Town was part of a process of um, relationship with the, with the Islamic community of the Salt River. And uh, this is, let's say, the proper way to produce contemporary art in an engagement way. So uh, sometimes the typical or the container, as we like today to call, they cannot really go so uh, far away from the space. And this is, I think, uh, can be also the role of the curator in order to educate also a wider public. Thank you. It can sometimes go out. For instance, one of our exhibitions, Lomé Plus, is about the city of Lomé. It's, it's, it's uh, do you hear me? Yes, so it's about the city of Lomé. But to do that, we, we work with a, a rapper, a video rapper, whose name is Elon Vance. And Elon Vance decided to film a triptych with people intervening in various parts of the city. For instance, a street hawker selling, uh, selling items on the street, walking on the street, or women working in the market because they, they carry luggage in the market. So he has filmed these people and the, his film will be projected inside the markets and the various parts of the city, which means that we want to go out to attract people inside. But to, to attract them inside, we show them their, their history to, and we invite them inside. So it's inside and out. We, we play on both sides. So, so I wonder, um, you know, and I want to hear from Nana, I, I wonder to what extent, um, since we, we are... The, the 
the center of all this activity revolves around uh, the makers, the artists, or the artisans, um, because they are the ones who are producing uh, the culture. Uh, and so I wonder to what extent are we actually um, engaging them in the process of transforming these institutions? What is their role in that? Um, do we, and, and Nana, I know with your mobile moving from community to community, it forces you to rethink about what it is you're engaging, or the community you're engaging, and what kind of makers and what kind of objects are going to be relevant or are, are going to be included in that um, presentation. So, could you? Yeah, um, I just, can I just very, very quickly answer the thing about language first, and then, um, so, um, in terms of what we're doing, I think the Mobile Museum is, is, is actually just one facet. When I was studying African art history, one of my biggest frustrations was that the terms that I was studying, the objects that I was studying, were all, you know, kind of semiotics, hermeneutics, these kind of very kind of Western grounded terms. And I wanted to understand the concepts, context in which the objects were made. And it was very, very hard for me to find that until I went and did a research degree and then I went and did research at home. Um, one of the things that I found in the course of that research, which has been ongoing, um, is kind of underlies everything that I'm doing now, which is that, um, for example, I, in this course of the research, after many years, I came across these knowledge keepers. Um, I would have called them, originally I would have called them traditional priests, but they told me, you know, we had knowledge systems, we had, um, and we have this knowledge system, um, which kind of blew my mind because it's this whole ontology, it's this whole epistemology, it's this whole way of understanding the world, um, of understanding objects, of understanding the way that we navigate the world. Um, and yet, because um, of, you know, this kind of brief, colonial encounter that's been so overemphasized in our history. Um, you know, these kind of these kind of ways of understanding the world have been suppressed. But they're still there. They're, they still exist. So part of the project of the Mobile Museum is also to unearth or make more visible these ways of understanding, of navigating, of express, expressing. Um, and they're all there. They're just kind of under the surface of, you know, the kind of, you know, in Ghana it's English or the kind of formal way of understanding. So when you talk about language, um, one of the things that we're trying to do is to unearth and then to reinterpret languages that have passed down, been passed down for many, many centuries. Um, and that's going into how we in a way curate, I guess, what we're trying to do. Um, and it's a really, really exciting journey because, um, you know, another thing that I found in the course of my research as well was, you know, this way of preserving and of putting things into glass cases and temperature control. You know, in a way what you were saying about you gave the objects back for 15 days and they came back and they're imbued with something else. Um, you know, this is another thing that I found in, in terms of how do you, in terms of historicization, how do you, um, how do you uh, n um, 
pass things down through time, you know, whether it's knowledge or objects. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in this one way of putting something in a glass case and putting it temperature controlled. It can be, you know, putting it out to use and having it come back imbued with that kind of tear and wear. And that's really interesting to me, finding that, um, you know, in a way, a new language that's not so new. Um, in terms of the artists, um, the artists are very much part of the journey that we're doing. So, for example, in each um, region that we go to, we have the the artists' work um, provide a lens. You know, like um, most of the contemporary artists that we're working with have have some kind of issue that they're looking at that their art mediates. And so, we have um, in that region, we then create workshops and discussions around that artist's work with the communities, so that um, looking at you know how can the artist's work have wider relevance um, within those communities? So, I mean, I think the great thing about artists um, is that they do take the time to, to, to look deeper into or think deeper into things that, you know, maybe people just pass by quickly. Um, and so bringing people into that time, um, yeah. Right. Um, and I know we're running out of time, but I, and I want to open up the, the, the panel to questions but I, I, there's one more question that I need to put forward, which I can't um, ignore, uh, especially when we are talking about time and the, and, and the issue of the container is technology. Um, and I, I just wonder to what extent um, technology plays a large role in, in terms of thinking about how the container shifts from being a physical space to, you know, to ether space, you know, or how, um, how you know the the notion of time is no longer about you know present time, but it's also about future time. Um, so I'm going to throw that out, and then maybe and we'll take some questions, and then uh, see where we we end. But uh, I can can I respond okay. oh, sure. quickly uh, to not directly to that, but I just wanted to add that um, it is important to to maintain the multiplicities of forms and the complexities of the endeavors. So uh, if we, I mean, I personally consider the museum just like any other site of social convergence. It can be a hospital, it can be a school, it can be a church, it can be a mosque, it can be a market, it can be a place where people come together to appreciate something or to even worship <laughs> something. So, and, uh, and, and I really believe that there is very often uh, a kind of a false trial made to whatever is called conventional museum buildings in terms of engagement, in terms of, you know, a dead place. I mean, a national museum, as you, uh, ex I mean, as you uh, presented it to us, uh, it is a dead place because there are no people making the programming. So we tend to forget that these places um, must be made by people. People are more important than the objects. It's the people, it's the staff, the vision, the dedication, the, the, the really, the devotion even to the, to the work that they are doing 
that imbue life and dynamism into 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 any program or into any museum so it is uh, it is very important and the other thing is also convenience i think the more convenient the more accessible uh any kind of um how do you say um that site of convergence provide to an immediate public or to its audience, the more successful I think it becomes. And also maybe the more relevant in terms of what to put forward. So, and I think that it is, uh, there is, a, there is a, a talking technology. We are, we are getting into an era where People want experiential stuff. They want to be part of an experience. I mean, we don't sell stories anymore. Uh, people want experiences. Everything it has to be experienced in a way that I strongly believe that it can. It really can be at the verge of um, circus, you know. And I still believe that artistic practice or artistic, artistic production, the way it is presented in places like museum or other galleries, still deserves and requires a certain sense and consideration for contemplation, which is one of the fundamental uh, desires or push for a lot of artists to make things because they want to share it with the public for the public to contemplate it and that is very often I mean that is more and more being forgotten in, uh, in all these ideas of progressivity and all these ideas of making things kind of trendy and hip people want to contemplate artworks yeah, and I, and I think part of that is also, it brings me to the question, but I, I won't delve into it, I'll just put it out there, is, is the question of sustainability. And this is the reason why maybe museums are beginning to feel like um, uh, circuses, as you put it. Um, because they need to get the people in, because they need the numbers, they need the money. So, so anyway, um, I'm going to open it up the floor to questions, and then we'll take uh, a few questions and see whether we can respond. Yeah, first of all, thank you to Melo and all the speakers for the very interesting panel. I really appreciate it. I'm the director of the Italian Cultural Institute in Pretoria. Um, we, started, we started with a question about the crisis of museums, right? And uh, it uh, resonates a lot of uh, crises. The crisis of the school, the crisis of university, the crisis of politics. Everything is in crisis. It seems like everything is crisis. And, and then you look at museums and you look at figures, as you said. And the figures in terms of uh, global museums, global figures is skyrocketing. It's never been so high. So it's, uh, you go to the, um, to the Metropolitan Museum in New York, you probably will spend 40 minutes to one hour and a half uh, in the line to get in. And you pay a lot of money to get in. So it, it seems that the demand, I'm from Rome. I remember Vatican Museum, I could go in the afternoon, just step in. Now it's impossible. People from all over the world, Africa, Latin America, Asia, 
everybody wants to visit museums. Museums are more attractive than any other form of entertainment, if we speak about entertainment, in the, in the world. So more than concerts, all, everything, stadiums, everything. So, um, but I understand when, when we speak about crisis. I'm, I'm based in Pretoria and I see places like the JAG, or the network of the Dit Song Museums in Pretoria. And so I understand the, prob the, the question of the crisis. So probably crisis in this sense had to be translated in the, in the original Greek uh, etymology, which is a decision or choice. You look at the Tzaitz Moka, for example. The the place is part of an entire urban redevelopment of an area. So it's an architectural uh, operation that has become a magnet for tourism, which is also connected to the thing about global museum that I mentioned before. Um, yeah, I said urban redevelopment, revitalization of uh, urban areas, we speak about the Maxi, for example, it used to be a barracks in the Second World War, and now it's one of the most attended contemporary museums in the world. Or there, in Italy, there are museums in the south of Italy, uh, houses confiscated to the Mafia, they became contemporary art museums. So, I see there are many opportunities for us. Yeah, so the... Yeah, so the, the question... The, the question was about the crisis. What, okay. what, how, how, do you see the crisis in the museum or <laughs> opportunity? I mean, I think I, 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 <laughs> I mean, I think um, um, I think Koyo did um, elaborate yeah. in terms of um, you know the the state of you know and the difference between you know the museum, uh, the the museum and, 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 the, and the desire to want to have objects in the museum. And obviously, yes, you're right that the redevelopment does uh, bring a new look in, in, uh, to museums. But I, I think we, what we're saying is that, you know, there's also a crisis between the private and the public, that there's a gap between those two, where uh, as Nana, or as um, I think it was Nana who mentioned that, you know, in Ghana, you know, the, the museums are dead or the public museums are dead. But as somebody else mentioned that it's the people. It, it needs people with a vision. It needs resources to sustain it, to give it life. And when the government doesn't provide that, uh, obviously you have another crisis. The museum goes dead. And then people feel that the museums are useless because they have no relevance to the community. There's no connection that is being made. But I don't want to keep talking because I want to take a few more questions um, so that we can try to answer if there's maybe two more questions maybe we can take. Thank you so much for a fascinating panel. Um, my question has to do with funding. Um, I think for each of you, just very quickly, um, trying to understand that when it, you touch on the question of sustainability, especially for museums on the continent, um, and the fact that there's not a lot of public funding from the government or from institutionalization of arts in that way, how then do you see a future um, for museum spaces uh, by diversifying sources of funding for them? As far as Palais de Lumet is concerned, it has been funded by 
I would say 75% by the government for the renovation works and the, the, the first exhibitions. But our target is to lower this amount because the government obviously have other priorities to deal with, which means that we have increasingly number of corporate sponsorship and activities, I would say, more connected to space rentals and uh, uh, we will open two restaurants because the objective is to, to be sustainable in the longer term, on the longer term, but it's true that it's an issue for us and a challenge <coughs> to be dealt with, to answer briefly. Um, well, um, for, I don't know, I have a problem with the public, always this request for art institutions and particularly museums to be sustainable. Non-commercial art initiatives can never be sustainable. <laughs> okay? That's a fact. It doesn't matter how or any forms of funding that you can think of, it will never be sustainable because the the ratio of the expenses that you have to maintain your operation going and the ratio of people who come in to pay either a ticket or to support you is just absolutely disbalanced. Now, there are multiple sources of, I mean, there are m different forms of economy and the non-profit economy also has kind of its realities. And I really believe that, um, and I really say it very openly and very clearly, I don't think that there is any museum in the world that is sustainable in term, without the support of either private in individuals or uh, corporate or, you know, members and so on. It cannot sustain itself. At Zeitzmoka, we are chronically understaffed. We are chronically underfunded. And by the way, Jochen Zeitz is not paying the operations of the museum. <laughs> and, and, I really, and I really believe that to make an initi a museum, any museum, or let's me just speak about Zeitzmoka, sustainable, and this is why also our kind of work towards a certain way of, you know, a key financial equilibrium, it takes all of us. So each and every one of you who visit the museum contributes to, to going there. Each and every one of you who becomes a member contributes to that. Each and every one who comes as a patron contributes to that. And we need that. All museums need that. All arts initiative, non-profit art initiative needs that. So just to say that there is no way of us breaking even. I think um, just maybe to add to that, you know, as, as, as was mentioned earlier about, you know, museums today, especially um, around the world, having big numbers of uh, museum goers, um, I think when you look at the models of those museums is that they have huge endowments. 
which support their, their, their functionality. And then when you look at the continent, uh, the museums here don't have that. And so I, I think it, it puts them in a more precarious position in terms of thinking about the longevity of their, of their survival. I think we'll take one more question. If there's a burning one, we'll take the last one after this one. Cool. Hi, thank you. Um, so this is just kind of to connect to your last kind of closing statements regarding technology. So I just wanted to ask kind of around two questions in a way. Um, one is what is the value of technology um, now in terms of marketability for kind of museum spaces? And then the other side of that is then what is the value of technology in kind of the time we are in now in terms of accessibility, so yeah, for accessibility for the spaces for people who potentially can't reach those spaces, um, but you want to make it a public space. Um, so, um, as part of th this Mobile Museum project, we have an online site. We, we've called it the Culture Encyclopedia, which is kind of like a kind of sister to the Mobile Museum. Um, and it's exactly for this I, thing of accessibility um, to make it available to people who might not necessarily have access to cultural knowledge. And the idea is for it to branch out from Ghana to other parts of the continent. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, so, so we, we, we kind of, technology was something that we thought was almost like a founding, was almost before the Mobile Museum. It almost came before because one of our big things is accessibility and democratization. But, you know, we are, an, uh, we're, like, my organization is a small, tiny kind of organization within the nation of Ghana, within the continent of Africa. So it's, it's, it's it, um, you know, the smallness of it allows us to be experimental because we can try stuff, we can fail, you know, it can, we can mess things up again and again and again. Nobody's going to be looking over our shoulder, um, apart from our funders, but even them, um, you know, it, it, most of the funding we get are, is funding, actually, funny enough, as artists. So a lot of the funding we get is for funding for either myself or for the organization as an artist. So which allows us the room to experiment with technology because I think it's still, it's still kind of a, a, a space that allows for experimentation. How that um, is taken on, for example, by our National Museum or by bigger museum projects in, in Ghana remains to be seen because they're quite static spaces. When Koyu was just saying just now, you know, museums are people, there are so many people working for the National Museum and for the Ghana Museum and Monuments Board so many people. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know how, you know, what this experiment that we're doing will translate into the bigger sphere because of the, the staticness of our museum system in, in Ghana. I don't know how that is revolutionized. I think it's not only in Ghana. I, I think, sorry, I think it's everywhere. I think when you look at museums and how they're dealing with technology, I think it's a struggle in terms of finding the right, um, right um, language or, 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 I mean, you, you see today people are using a lot of phones. Uh, there's, a, there's an attempt to address it or engage it, but I think it's still pretty much uh, new. 
And I think it goes back to the question about time, that, and Koyo had mentioned that you know, museums are very slow. Even though they have millions of people working in them, but everything moves at a very, very slow pace. You know, whereas I think when you have a much more smaller institution, they're more nimble, they take more risk. Museums don't take risks. They want to make sure that whatever it is they put out or whatever it is they do, it's, it, 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 it has to be already considered from all angles, you know, which doesn't really allow for any experimentation and risk-taking. The advantage of being a new institution is that you can take risk. So we use technology for one of the exhibitions. We work the curator of the exhibition, Sinamia Bojinu. He's also the founder of a Way Lab, which is a fab lab who created the first 3D printer in West Africa. So he, he and his team for the exhibition, they work on 3D items and they also created an app for the exhibition. And this app allows you to go throughout the city, throughout the world, of uh, an artist that created installations in the city. So actually we use technology to go outside of the palais, to go outside of the venue, to engage people, to discover the city in another manner. And, uh, for, so, and we work with them to also strengthen their, the, 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 I would say the technical skills of this team. So we found a founded, a founding, um, it was funded so that they could also work on this app. So we want to be part of uh, helping them to, to better enhance their skills. So well, it's another way of using technology. I think, uh, of course, technology is important. It is uh, 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 a development that is really uh, pervading our, our daily life, not just in the context of arts and culture. And uh, uh, different museums, I mean, at Zeitz Mokai, I mean, it's really a very young museum, and uh, we are still, we are taking lots of risks. And I like to tell to my team that we are a grassroots organization, cladded <laughs> uh, in, in a beautiful building. <laughs> yeah, but still grassroots. So, uh, because we are really at, uh, at, uh, at the foundation of making, of, of building and creating the DNA of what this museum should be in the future. So, uh, talking technology, I mean, of course, uh, as, a, as a contemporary art museum built to uh, open two years ago, uh, we use all forms of uh, technological outreach and, and tools to to engage with the public but uh, I think there is more and more development of transposing or replicating museums and collections into the into the uh, the internet or the the technological feed I'm speaking like, for instance like Google Arts you know who is uh, basically mining all arts institutions and particularly museums to build a big global wide web of museums, which is fine because you can have access to works and collections of, of places that you may not be able to travel to. But uh, I always put like a, a, a kind of a, a bémol, we say in French, which means that there is nothing that will replace the experience of being in front of an artwork. 
physically. That's why museums and any other form of presentation of art will always be relevant. If not sustainable, at least relevant. <laughs> okay, I think on that note, we'll end. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you to the panelists and to the Investor Cape Town Art Fair for letting us publish this talk on Unframed. Don't forget to follow Unframed Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts.